Well, it's now 2024, and we are excited that you are here with us at Portrait Church, listening to our podcast. My name is Jay. I get the privilege of being the pastor here at Portrait Church. And here's what we think. The best thing we can do as we start 2024 is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are in a brand new series called Seek First, where we are exploring what is the kingdom of God? Why should we seek it first? How should we respond to it? And what is the type of people God wants us to become in his kingdom? So we pray that as you start your 2024 year, that you would find value in seeking first God's kingdom and everything else will be added to you. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit us online at portrait.church or you can find us on social media. We'll be meeting at the Mitten Building here in Redlands on Sundays. And we hope you enjoy this message. And we honestly hope one day we'll see you in person as well. Take care. Matthew 22, starting in verse one, it says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. What he's saying here is like, yo, I got Lucille's on deck. Like it is about to go down. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his own field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets, gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. God, this is your word. We are honored to be able to read it out loud together. And so I just pray that it doesn't fall on deaf ears, that we actually hear it, obey it, and then do it. God, would you speak through me what I tell nothing but the truth? So help me, God. In your name we pray. Amen. So there's two phrases that have been used to describe millennials and Gen Z over the last few years. Uh, those phrases uh, have been coined as uh, choice stress and decision fatigue. In a world where it's everything's, you know, an oyster, what's the, what's the saying? It's like the world is your oyster, right? Like that's weird. I don't even understand it. But it's like, there's so many decisions, like I went, anyway, I'm not even, uh, I need to stay on time. There's so many decisions that are out there in the world, which causes what they are saying to these generations, to many of you in the room, decision fatigue, stress because of all the choices and all the more seasoned people in the room are looking around like, uh-huh, I see it all the time. 
But here's the reality. In his book, The Paradox of Choice, Why More is Less, American psychologist Barry Schwartz said, learning to choose is hard. Learning to choose well is harder. And learning to choose well in a world of unlimited possibilities is harder still, perhaps too hard. These two generations, Generation Z and Millennials, are at times known as the last minute cancellation generations. You laugh because you know you do this sometimes. You wait until the very last minute to assess, is doing this thing gonna be better than doing this thing? And what happens with this generation is they, they, they're known as being people who cancel last minute. And the problem with that is they often don't understand the fallout that comes from not keeping your word realizing the impact on their last minute cancellation on the person that was expecting them. So I don't know if you know this, but I DJ on the side, like pastor by day, DJ, I'm not in the club, so don't be coming looking for me, okay? And that would be fine if I was playing Christian music, you know, I'm just saying, I, I, I DJ weddings, okay? And so one of the things I notice when I DJ weddings, I meet with a couple about a week or so before, and can I tell you the number one thing when I ask them, how are you doing? Like, what are you feeling? And they're so, the number one thing that stresses them out, you know what it is? Is when people don't RSVP. Number one thing, they're like, oh man, we're trying to figure out the food and, and people aren't RSVPing, so we're trying to figure out what to do. And then what's crazy is after the wedding, I do a little follow-up and I say, how was everything? Tell me about your day. Like, was it everything you hoped? Could I have served you better? Oh, everything was great. You know what the worst part about the day was, Jay? Is it when people RSVP'd and they did not show up. Do you know why? Yeah, amen. Someone felt that one. They're like, we still paying for that filet mignon. <laughs> but the reality is many, many people don't understand the cost. When you said you were going to do something, they prepared. They had a table. They had a nameplate. You had marked chicken. You had even marked a, a, a song that you wanted to dance on the dance floor to. But you didn't show up. And sadly, I think Jesus knows this all too well himself. Here, Jesus is describing the kingdom as a wedding banquet. You have to understand, during that cultural times, and often you still see it in other cultures, when my wife and I were on a mission trip to India, we would drive down this one street and we'd say uh, to, our, to the people we were with, we said, what's going on over there? Oh man, it's a wedding, it's a Monday. I'm like, who get married on a Monday? They're like, no, the wedding is just starting today. We come back driving on a Thursday. I'm like, yo, is that the, yep, the wedding is still going on. This is day four. And they'd have, a, they'd have like, a, there's something happening on that specific day. Well, in these cultural times, and still in many cultural places today, weddings were, they, were they, they lasted several days. And so to be invited by a king was a huge honor. Many would have been too terrified to say no to the king because then it would, it would seem as if they were rejecting him. So they would have been motivated to attend because if you weren't going to attend, it would be an insult. But here in the text, notice when Jesus says he sent out his servants to those who had been invited. Y'all, they had already got to save the date. They already knew it was coming. They already were supposed to be going. 
When he sent out his servants to invite them to come, it says they refused to come. Like, there's really no, like, there's no logical reason here. Like, it's not like, like, at least in the first part, they they give no logical reason. They already knew about this. They knew when it was going to start. They knew the festivities. But whatever they were doing, what they're saying was essentially more important to them than going to the king's banquet for his son. But the king is a real generous king. He loves his son so much. He's like, look, I didn't get all this meat and food ready. I did not get all this stuff. These halls are going to be filled. So he says, and, and here's, here's, here's context. Oftentimes in the social Jewish culture, you would know when the wedding was. But what you didn't know and what they often didn't know was when the food was going to be done. Because, y'all, they were slow cooking that. They were marinating that bad boy. And they wanted the food. When the food was ready, it was, and so what that meant for those who were invited who knew the wedding was happening is like you had to be ready because they didn't want the food to spoil. So you, you, you knew, okay, the wedding is happening and I have to plan accordingly because at any point in time, they're going to tell me that the, that the food is ready. So he's like, okay, man, maybe, maybe they didn't get it the first time. Well, the food's ready now. The food is ready. And some of y'all know the only reason you go to some weddings is to get some free food. Can I get an amen? You be asking the question, what y'all serving? I had tacos last time. Oh, y'all got lemon crusted. What? Oh, okay. We'll be there. We'll We'll drop the kids off too. Get a little date night out of it. But then he says to his servants, he says, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. He's telling them the food is ready. But they paid no attention and they went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And the king was enraged, and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. They paid no attention and went off. One to his field, one to his business. They didn't believe that the best thing that they could have done with their time was to go to the feast. They didn't understand the magnitude of being invited by the king to the wedding banquet. And I think the reason our society, we deal with decision fatigue because we feel like we have to wait until the last minute to decide what's best. We don't do as Matthew 5 verse 37 says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And listen to what it says. It says, for whatever is none of these, so if your yes isn't yes and your no isn't no, is of the evil one. Many times we, we, we're so concerned with pleasing people or, or avoiding the, the tension there that we, we don't let, some of you say yes just out of uh, wanting to not make someone feel bad. Or some of you actually say no because you, your priorities are mixed up. And it's offensive to people you commit to when you say one thing and you do another. It was offensive to the king when they knew that they had the RSVP, when they had to save the date, when they knew that they were part of the guest list for them not to show up. 
So for us today, we have an opportunity, every single one of us in here, to feast on the goodness of God in his word through reading, through prayer, through resting and silence and solitude. But oftentimes our hearts are too attached to other things. Too attached. So when you have an opportunity to step into the feast of God's word, you're too attached to your phone. You're too attached to the notifications. You're too attached to your email. You're too attached to the sports. You're too attached. And there's a feast waiting for you. This isn't a new issue, though. As If you've been with us long enough, you've heard that we've talked about so much, if not all of the issues that we see in Scripture come from the very beginning of time. With Adam and Eve, when they received this invitation to this paradise with God, with the king. Yet, instead, they took an invitation from a serpent. And this invitation was for them to become God themselves to pursue their own kingdoms, and it backfired. It sent humanity into a spiral of what we call sin. Sin being the absence of God's goodness, the absence of pursuing his kingdom, where we miss the mark and... We see some of the DNA of sin firsthand in the response that some of these people have to the king's servants. It says they mistreated them and they killed them. Like, yo, what, what kind of messed up person? Yeah, they just inviting you to have good food, inviting you to this prestigious honor, and you're going to mistreat and you're going to kill them, and that is the result of sin. And what Jesus is doing here is if you were to read a few, uh, like the, the chapter before, you were to kind of see what was happening, Jesus here is foreshadowing what is about to happen to Jerusalem when he talks about a city being burned. Why? Because all of the religious leaders who rejected Jesus and the message of the good news of the gospel he was bringing were constantly questioning his authority. So you were to look in the next chapter before this, Part of the reason we have this story that Jesus is telling is because the religious leaders are like, well, what makes you think you could do what you do? What, and what authority do you have to heal people? And what authority, like what kind of, this kingdom that you're ushering in, who gives you the authority to do that? So you would have thought that they would have picked up on this note. Oh yeah, 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 this city's about to be destroyed. You would have thought maybe one of them was like, are you talking to us? Is that our city? Y'all, y'all better stop tripping on this man. But he's trying to foreshadow something here. That these religious people would eventually play a significant role in crucifying Jesus. Still, in his graciousness, the king is determined not to have an empty banquet hall. He says to his servants in verse 8, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So you know what? Go to the street corners, invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets, gathered the people they could find, the bad and the good. Let that sink in. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. You know, when, when I think about the, uh, a guest list, you know, my wife and I, man, we had a hard time with our guest list. Because when someone tells you how many people you can have, it's like, man, you know, I'm half Hispanic. And so... Some of y'all already giggling because y'all already know, man, that's like 50 people and that's like first cousins, okay? I find out I got a new cousin for Christmas every year. You know what I'm saying? 
Like, it's like crazy. I like, I went to a family reunion one time and I met this girl I went to school with. I was like, yo, thank God we didn't date because I just found out you're my cousin right now. It's crazy. But when we are thinking about our guest list, honestly, the question that we are thinking about with our guest list is do these people deserve to be here? Do they deserve to be here? Because you, you just say go invite anybody. It's like you're, you're thinking through the relationship you have with them. You're thinking through the impact that they've made in your life. So you're thinking, man, do they deserve to be here? And, and, and after the fact, if I'm being honest, and I can say this freely, like we've, we've even wrestled with the fact of like, you know what? I don't know if we should have had old boy here. I don't know. I think we missed out on inviting this person. So there is even, honestly, some tension that we sat in and some guilt of who we didn't invite. But you want to know the difference between our guest list and God's guest list? Everybody's invited. Everybody's on the guest list. He says, go get anyone. Jesus redefines who is worthy. His guest list doesn't exclude anyone, and he's not even limited to some power plays on his guest list. Oh, we just got to invite so-and-so because they're friends with the boss, and they got money, and they're going to give a good— He ain't even thinking about favoritism. He He said, go out to the places, and oftentimes you see in other parts of the gospel that the streets were associated with the poor, with the crippled, with the blind and the lame. He's like, you know what? Go out to those places. Go get some guests. Culturally, many, if not all of these people, were undeserving of an invitation to a wedding from a king. Undeserving. And this is the very upside-down DNA of the kingdom of God. We don't get the power to decide who deserves to be invited into God's kingdom. That's not our, that's not our call. And I think that's one of the dangers that we often see in Christian spaces is we think we have the power to dictate who's invited. Notice I said invited and not who gets in because who gets in is not our decision. Jesus said, I'm the gate. Y'all come through me. Grace, this undeserved favor of the invitation One commentator put it, the lower a person's status, the more punctual they might be expected to be. You know why? More punctual. Because they're like, yo, I got invited? Me? Oh, what time is it at? Oh, you better believe I'm going to be there. We're going to talk about it in a few weeks. But one of the things I love when when Jesus is describing kingdom type of people, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Some of us in the room, we don't have a poor in spirit mentality and faith. We don't. We got too much riches, too much things that are keeping us from not even attending, but even inviting. I love the the scripture that Dale led us through. This idea of this unmerited, this, 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 this undeserved grace should cause us to run boldly to the throne of God's grace. It shouldn't cause us to tiptoe in wondering, oh man, are we going to be, no, boldly. Because you know the type of king that we serve. And so the undeserving guests show up, but there's a problem. 
It says, when the king, king came to see the guests, he noticed that there was a man not wearing wedding clothes. He asked him, how did you get in here without clothes, friend? He was speechless. King told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I know some of y'all are like, can we get over this weeping and gnashing of teeth stuff? Haven't we talked about that already? Here's the reality. Y'all ever been to a wedding? Like I went to a wedding one time and a, and a buddy of mine showed up. I'm like, brother, what are you doing in shorts? <laughs> like you ain't Kanye West. You can't get away with stuff like that. Like he shows up in shorts and he look, he stand out. He, <laughs> he stand out because he a little pale too. So he really stood out. I'm like, brother, this, this ain't summertime. Like, you can't be, can't be blinding us like that. But he said, and, and, he, and he just, it was very obvious that he did not read the invitation. It's very obvious. Even commoners knew during that time that you had to dress up in appropriate attire if you were going to be in the presence of a king. Because if not, it was seen as disrespectful. And most historians agree with this, that not only you're getting an invite from the king, not only are you getting a feast that you don't have to prepare, but the king also provides garments for those who are invited. So here's what we get. All the people showed up, the king provided the invitation, the meal is ready, and during that time they say that the kings would actually provide garments for people to wear before they entered the banquet. So do you know what this says about this man? He was invited, he accepted the invitation, but he didn't change. Think about that right here. He was invited. He accepted the invitation, but he never changed. That is a phrase in which I think is very telling for cultural Christianity today. People receive the invitation. Let's go to church. Let's start a relationship with Jesus. They're doing the Christian things. They go to church. They read the Christian books. They listen to the podcast. They write or read the Christian blogs. They eat at Chick-fil-A. You got a lot of Bible verses in your mind, but you have not changed. Oh, you, you do a lot of Christian things, but you have not changed. Many people are pretending. You're performing. The reality is many thought y'all can get in on your good looks in your own outfit. The king is like, I got my garments. You want to come in here? I am providing them for you. And listen, many people, says in scripture, are going to go to God when they're about to enter the kingdom of heaven and say, yo, I did all these things, God. I showed up to Portia Church two times out of the month. That's pretty good. That's better than most Christians. One time, studies say one time out of the month is what most regular Christians go to church. So if you go in two, you already notch. You're going to say, God, I listened, I, listened to, I listened to those podcasts. Man, I, God, I consumed all this good Christian content. I served. I did all these things. He's going to be like, but look, you didn't, you didn't know me. You didn't know me. 
Your heart wasn't changed because we could just stack all these accolades and present them to God. And he's like, but your heart didn't change. You still didn't love your neighbor. You still were mean to your kids. You still were cheating on your wife. You still were doing these things behind people's back. You were performing. You didn't put on the clothes that I gave you. And here's the reality. Where's RJ at? RJ, come here. I want to give you a little illustration. RJ, uh, grab the, uh, the jacket right behind there. Here's the reality. What I don't want to have happen is for us to get to heaven and God to essentially call cap on us. Sorry, cap. Cap means you lying. <laughs> God's going to be like, nah, you lying. Because you did not wear my clothes. You see, what I gave you to wear, put that on, RJ, put that on. What I gave you to wear, Isaiah 61 says, I delighted greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arranged me in a robe of his righteousness. He's arranged him. In Romans 13, 14, it says, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself with him. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. God is saying, I have clothed you with Jesus. I have given you the garments of my son. I no longer see your sin, I see my son. I have clothed you. You look good, but here's the issue. Take it off, take it off for me. Here's, here's, here's what I think is the, is the issue and challenge that's facing our day today. Is we have many very legalistic Christians who will go to someone like RJ and say, ah, you know what, RJ? Man, bro, I think before you put this on, you got to go take a shower. You got to do a couple things. Maybe you got to go serve the poor. You, RJ, you got to show up to church. Maybe you got to read the Bible. You got to understand the doctrine of A, B, C, and D, and then I'll let you have this. And then, and you know what? There's even some who will say, you know what, RJ? Man, it's going to cost you, bro. Isn't that crazy? There's actually something. This is what Jesus had a problem with religious people. It's because you throw on heavy burdens and you don't give the free invitation to the thing that's been given to you for free. But you want to start charging other people. You want to start telling them they got to perform and do all these things. But here's the flip side. We have very legalistic people. Then we have also in our culture today, in a very secular culture, people that live with what we call license. The freedom to do whatever. So what they say is, you know what, RJ? You don't have to put, you know, you don't have to put this on, man. God loves you just the way you are. You know what? All, that, all the things that you're doing, he's fine with you. He's fine with you just getting in, how you, how you spend your money, how you live out your sexuality, how you do all these things. RJ, he's fine with you having your clothes and going into the kingdom. Both are wrong. Both myth, miss the gospel. You see, the gospel says, RJ, man, I'm going to be honest with you, bro. Oftentimes, I like what I got to wear. I like doing things my way. Sometimes, out of, sometimes I'm actually, maybe I don't like it so much, but I live in shame for how I look or what I got to wear. And RJ, can I be honest? Since I have made a decision to follow Jesus and be clothed, clothed with his righteousness. You can put it on. Since I have made this decision, RJ, I am pursuing a kingdom, and I now take my orders from a king who is really good. 
And you know what? I, I didn't used to dress up like that. It was really uncomfortable at first, but I got used to it. Because you know what, RJ? This is a, is a clothing of grace. It's, I have been clothed with the righteousness of God, all the right things that God has done. So now, RJ, when you make this decision, I want you to walk in confidence knowing that you didn't have to pay for this. The meal you're about to eat, you didn't, you didn't have to prepare it. The invite that you got here, you actually didn't deserve it, but God loves you so much that he wanted to give you a son to walk in freedom. You can go, yeah, yeah, you can go. This is illustration end. My desperate desire for this church is that we would be kingdom-minded, gospel-centered people who are honest about what does it look like to put on the clothes of righteousness, to follow Jesus. And so the good news for us today is that every single one of us has been invited. We've been invited. We got an undeserved invite from the king. And that's amazing, y'all. Like y'all know, some of y'all was really on the street corners. And God had, had sent some people to get your attention and tell you there's an invite waiting for you in his kingdom. So you've been invited. The other part of good news is that the meal is ready. You don't have to come with your good works, with your performance. God's feast is already ready. He says, yo, come and enjoy. I got some Lucille short ribs that I just, I've been marinating for a long time. Y'all come and enjoy this. And for you vegans, I got some collard greens. If you don't know what that is, ask somebody black. They'll let you know. I have something for you. And can I tell you about this meal, about this feast? It's not going to last seven days, y'all. It's going to last all of eternity. It's going to last all of eternity. It's going to be the most beautiful invite, the most beautiful celebration. So you've been invited. The meal is ready. But you need to change your clothes. You need to change your clothes. Some of you need to stop pretending. Stop performing. Stop being so concerned with the, the performative aspects of religion. And you need to put on the righteousness of Jesus and practice his ways. What that is saying is that you're going to stop doing life your way. And you're going to put on the garments of Jesus and say, I'm going to practice your way. I can't do it perfectly, but I'm going to pray. You better believe I'm going to practice it because I know that your way is better than any other way. I will practice your way. Because at the end of the Bible in Revelation 19 verse 6, it says, then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and the bride, his bride has made herself ready. That is the church. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Church family, there's gonna come a day 
where we are all going to be standing before God. And our job as a church, my job as a pastor, is to make sure that we are putting on the fine linen, the righteousness of God, and the righteousness that now you and I, because we have been invited into this kingdom, get to go and live out in our world today. So yes, we've been invited. The meal is ready. Change your clothes. And lastly, let's celebrate. You see, the reality is I think many of us struggle with understanding the goodness of God and how he leads, how he rules and how he reigns because he is a God of perfect righteousness, meaning everything he does is right. He is a God of perfect justice, meaning there's no favoritism. You can't pay him off for him to make a decision. He does what's right and just. And as Dell said today in, in, in that last verse, that the way that he leads, what scripture says, his yoke, it's easy. He's not trying to burden you. He's trying to give you freedom to choose him over anything else. And that gives us cause to celebrate. So my question for us as we are seeing Portrait Church obviously grow as we're talking about two services, who needs to celebrate with you? Who do you need to invite to the feast of the kingdom? Who is waiting on your invitation? I wanna show you a picture of a very special person to me. It's, a, it's my nephew, Jet. I don't know if any of you have had a chance to meet Jet, but by show of hands, how many of you have had your hand grabbed or walked into some sort of space here in church as a result of Jet? Keep your hands up. You see, my nephew Jet was diagnosed with a rare genetic mutation disorder, and he has what's called CHAMP1. I think it's very fitting because I think he is a champ. But the thing I love most about Jet is the pureness of his heart because it does not matter who walks through those doors, he is going to grab your hand and usher you into this space. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter how you look like, act like, vote like. It doesn't matter if y'all like the same things he likes. He grabs your hands and he says, there's an invitation waiting for you to come into this space. Many followers of Jesus need to learn from Jed because there are people that you are not inviting into the kingdom of God because you don't like them, because they don't have the same beliefs as you, because they don't think the same things that you think politically, because they wear certain things that you don't agree, or they say certain things, or they have this kind of foul mouth, or they, they post this on social media. The kingdom of God is an invitation to everyone. You mean to tell me that a five-year-old boy who has champ one can get that, but most Christians in society can't get that. That the kingdom of God is available to anyone. You have a chance to grab people's hands and say, let me show you a leader who leads perfectly, who leads with grace, who is still full of truth, but man, he's so good. We can learn something from Jet. Because when we are suspicious and skeptical that God cannot 
bring or change people by bringing them into his kingdom. What we are doing when we are suspicious of people or skeptical of them being able to change, we are simultaneously questioning the power of God. You question God's power when you do not invite people who are hard to invite. But I love Chet. It doesn't matter. Yo, that picture in the middle, I put that, I put that on purpose. He don't know that guy. That, that guy was the guy doing the photo booth for our Christmas event. I'm scrolling through and I'm like, of course, of course, it makes sense. And I'm reminded when Jesus is telling his disciples, if you don't enter my kingdom like a child, that's the way. Maybe Jack can't communicate it, but one thing I know about him is as it says in Romans 1.16, that he is unashamed of the gospel of Jesus because he knows that it is the power of the gospel that has the power to change lives. Bringing salvation to anyone and everyone who believes. So my prayer today is that we would, we would take a moment of being honest with God and just ask for forgiveness of how we've tried to enter into his kingdom with our own clothes. Many of you need to make a decision today to finally put on the clothes of righteousness. So don't ignore the invitation. Don't be so attached to the things of this world. Because when you are attached to the temporal things of this world, we could potentially end up missing out on the things that are eternal. So would we sit in the fact that we received a, a unmerited invite to the kingdom of God, the feast is ready, let's put on the clothes of Jesus and let's celebrate.